Well, let me once more say good morning. Let me once more say good morning. That sounds a little bit better. Um, It's good that we're here together this morning. Um, Isn't it good that we share Jesus Christ in common as our Savior? And that's what brings us together this morning. I really look forward to spending some time this morning talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, and talking about the assurance of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, if you'll remember, um, most of you were probably here a couple of weeks ago. I I spoke on forgiveness. Um, I spoke on the difficulty that we often have in forgiving each other. And I also talked about the difficulty that we often have in in grasping the reality that we are forgiven by God, how difficult that is for us many times to really believe that we are truly forgiven by God. And I intended to speak on something very different this morning, uh, but my plans changed. And my plans changed because... After I spoke a couple of weeks ago, I had numerous conversations with numerous people, um, and those conversations made me realize that it it was the second part of that um, little formula that really struck a chord with people. How many of us there are that have a hard time believing that we are truly forgiven by God? Uh, Many of you expressed that. Many of you agreed with me that that's a difficulty that you too have. Um, I had conversations, and and words like this were said to me. I just can't make myself believe that God would forgive me. And I haven't been able to get those kind of words out of my mind. Those kind of words have kind of grabbed hold of me, or I've grabbed hold of them, or we're grabbing hold of each other. I'm not sure what it is. And then when I kind of sort out the emotions that I have about those kind of conversations, I realize that probably my primary emotion is is sadness. I'm sad when I think about the fact that so many of us have difficulty in believing that God would forgive us. I'm sad when I consider that I have difficulty in believing that God would forgive me. See, I think... Many of us have that inability at times to really believe that we're forgiven. And again, my primary emotion is sadness. Sadness that many of us are living in doubt about our present state. Sadness that many of us are living in fear about our future state because we just can't really make ourselves believe that God would forgive us. I think many of us don't believe that we're deserving of God's forgiveness. I think many of us don't believe that we've been good enough to get God's forgiveness. I think that many of us don't believe that we've done enough to get God's forgiveness. And I think many of us believe that maybe our past is just simply too dark for God to be able to wash clean. And I'm sad because it was never, it was never God's intention for his children his sons and daughters to live in fear, to live in doubt, and to feel, live in uncertainty about our past and about our present and about our future. So that brings us to our key point this morning. I want us to all understand this one thing, and that is that God intends for us, for us, his sons and daughters, his children, to live with confident assurance that we will spend eternity with him. 
want us all to grasp onto that, that God intends for us to live with confident assurance that we will spend eternity with him. So this morning, I want to talk about how we can actually know, how we can actually stand before God and we can actually stand before man with confident assurance that eternal life is actually ours. And to do that, I'm going to turn our attention to a fairly short letter that we find in the Bible. It's a letter that we call 1 John. And you can find 1 John towards the end of your Bible. It'll only take a few pages in your Bible. A letter that John wrote. 1 John. You know, I was wondering why this letter speaks to me so powerfully. I was wondering why this letter seems to be exactly what I need at this time. I think there's several reasons. I think one reason is because of who the author is. Who wrote it? It's written by John. It's not written by a John. It's written by the John. John, one of the 12 apostles, one of the ones who was called by Jesus, one of the ones who walked with Jesus, who sat at Jesus' feet, who took part in Jesus' very public ministry, but also in his very private moments. It's that John, the John. John, who was part of the inner circle, but he wasn't just part of the inner circle, he was part of the inner inner circle. John, who was one of the three, Peter, James, and John, who Jesus took particularly under his wing, who accompanied him at times and in places that other people did not. It's that John, the John. But it's not just John, the the part of the inner, inner circle. It's John who's described as the one who Jesus loved. John, who I think fairly can be described as Jesus' best friend. It's that John. I think that's one reason why this letter speaks so powerfully to me. But I also think it's the the tone of the letter. The tone of the letter that that makes it speak to me in the way that it does. And that the tone of the letter is a very kind of loving tone. He uses a couple of phrases over and over again in this letter. He says, my dear children. Again and again, my dear children. And he also uses the phrase, my dear friends. Over and over again, John in this letter, as he's writing to the recipients of the letter, he calls them my dear friends. He shows deep concern for the people who read his letter. There's a a hint of sadness in the letter. And I think the sadness comes from the same kind of sadness that I have experienced as I think about the conversations that I've had in the last couple of weeks. I think there's a sadness that his family, I think there's a sadness that his loved ones, I think there's a sadness that his dear children, his dear friends, aren't able to really grasp and believe that they are forgiven. I think he's sad because they have an inability to believe that eternal life is really theirs. Because I think that John's friends, John's dear children, also had a hard time believing that they were worthy of God's forgiveness. I think they too had a hard time believing that they were deserving of God's forgiveness. I think they had a hard time believing that they were good enough to be forgiven by God. I think they had a hard time believing that they had done enough to be forgiven by God. I think they had a hard time believing that with the past that some of them had, that God could actually wash those sins away. So John picked up his pen 
and he wrote a letter. It's a personal letter. It's actually a love letter, if you will, written to his friends and family. It's a gentle letter. It's a letter that's full of hope and it's full of encouragement. And near the end of his letter, in chapter 5 and verse 13, John writes these words. He writes these words to his friends, to his children. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this morning, as I look out at my friends, as I look out at my family, I want to ask you a question. And this is a serious question, but I don't want a show of hands, but I want you to take this question very seriously. And the question is this, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? If so, if you do believe this, this letter was written to you. This letter was written to me. This letter was written to us. See, if your answer to that question is yes, this is a personal letter. This is a love letter to you and to me and to us. Listen to those words again. My dear children, my dear friends, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Sometimes it's really helpful for me when I'm reading, when I'm reading scripture and when I'm reading letters in particular that were written by, by various authors to personalize it, to make that letter as if it's written to me. So if I was going to personalize this letter, it might go something like this. Walter, my dear child, my dear friend, I wrote this letter to you so that you won't have doubt or fear, but will instead know that you have eternal life. And I want you to personalize John's letter this morning. See, John says, I don't write this so that you will hope for eternal life, not so that you will wish for eternal life, but so that we will know we have eternal life. So what does John say in the letter? How can we know that we have eternal life? I would love it if we had the time to read the entire letter, but we don't. But I want to share with you some things that I believe that John tells us in his letter that lets us know that we can have eternal life. And I think the key to that is that we know that we can have eternal life, and we can know that by knowing our hearts, by knowing our loves, by examining our relationships with others, especially our brothers and sisters. See, I've learned from John's letter that it is by testing our hearts in three different areas that we can know that we have eternal life. It's through testing our hearts, it's through examining our hearts, it's through searching our hearts that we can know that we have eternal life. So John asks you to ask your heart three important questions. And the first question is this. Is Jesus your Lord and Master, and do you have complete confidence in Him? Is Jesus your Lord and Master, and do you have complete confidence in Him? Well, how can you know that He is your Lord and Master? I think that requires some more questions. Ask yourself these questions. Is your heart's desire to place Him 
above all else. Is your heart's desire to serve him above all else? Is your heart's desire to love him above all else? And finally, is your heart's desire to worship him at the exclusion of everything else? Place him above all else. Serve him above all else. Love him above all else. Worship him at the exclusion of all else. If those are your heart's desires, then he is your Lord and Master. Not because you practice those things perfectly, but because you recognize, because you acknowledge, because you embrace Jesus as the King of your heart. Jesus as your Lord and Master. But also, do you have confidence in him? Do you have complete confidence in Jesus Christ? You see, if you feel you aren't deserving of God's forgiveness, in many ways you're right. If you don't feel that you're good enough to deserve God's forgiveness, in many ways you're right. If you don't feel like you've done enough to deserve God's forgiveness, in many ways you're right. But John lets us know that forgiveness isn't about what we have done. It's about what our Lord and Master Jesus Christ has done for us. It isn't having confidence in our abilities to be good enough or to do enough. It's having complete confidence that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Master, has already done what we could never do. Listen to John. Listen to the words that he shares with us in his letter. My dear children, my dear friends, Jesus is the eternal life. Jesus is eternal life personified. Jesus is the source of eternal life. He's the only avenue to eternal life. He's the only possibility for eternal life. John tells us that Jesus is the eternal life. He also says this to his dear children and his dear friends. He says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus paid the price. John says this, he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. John tells us this, he says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, for you, for me, for us. And John says this, my dear children, my dear friends, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see, we may know we have eternal life because we know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master and because we have complete confidence that He is good enough, that He has done enough for our sins to be forgiven. Well, the second question that John asks has to do with obedience to your Lord and Master. See, we need to search and examine our hearts by asking this. We need to ask ourselves this. We need to ask, do we hate sin in our lives? And do we love to obey God's commandments? Do you grieve? Do you mourn over the sin in your life? 
Do you recognize and confess the sin in your life and bring it to light? And I want to make sure that we all notice that John is talking about the sin in our lives. See, it's often very easy to recognize and confess the sin in other people's lives. That's pretty easy for me to do. It's pretty easy to do what Jesus talked about, to point over there and say, thank God I'm not like that guy. Thank God I'm not like those people. Thank God I'm better than them. Thank God I do more than them. But John's talking about mourning and grieving and confessing the sin in our lives. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this kind of comical description of of those kind of people. You know, the kind of people that are so concerned about sins in other people's lives. He talks about so concerned about getting the speck of sawdust out of someone's eyes, but they can't really do it. And what prevents them from being able to pull the speck of sawdust out of the other person's eyes? Well, they got this this two-by-four of sin growing out of their own eye. And the image we should have is of of walking around with this big two-by-four sticking out of our eye, trying desperately to reach the speck of sawdust in our brother's eyes. Now, John's talking about the sin in our lives. In your heart, do you hate it when you sin? Do you hate being disobedient to your Lord and Master? And do you love to obey? Do you hate being disobedient but love to obey, to follow, to keep God's commands? Do you love to do His will? If your answer to those questions is yes, then you can know that you have eternal life. Listen again to John. Listen to his words. He says, my dear children, my dear friends, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. John also says this. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And John says, everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And he says, those who obey his commands live in him and he lives in them. See, we may know we have eternal life because we hate sin in our lives and we love being obedient children of God. Well, John's third and final question for our hearts also has to do with obedience. It also talks about obedience because it has to do with the love that's demonstrated by obedient children. In chapter 3 and verse 16 of his letter, John wrote these words. He said, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. A little bit later on in verse 23 of the same chapter, John says this. He said, this is God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. So John is asking us to search our hearts and ask ourselves this question. Do we have lay down your life love for our Christian brothers and sisters? Do you have lay down your life love for your Christian brothers and sisters. So the first question that might occur to you is, does John really mean that we should be willing to literally die for each other? I think the answer actually is yes. I think John does mean that, that we should be literally willing 
to die for our brothers and sisters. But we all know that that's unlikely to occur. It's unlikely for us to have that opportunity to die for our brothers and sisters. So we know that there's more to it than just being willing to die for our brothers and sisters. I think that John means, when we're talking about laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, he's talking about daily things. He's talking about repetitive things. See, when we consider Jesus' actions on our behalf, it wasn't just his willingness to die that's remarkable, although that is very remarkable. But equally remarkable is what Jesus was willing to give up, what Jesus was willing to lay aside, what Jesus was willing to leave behind. And he did all of that to serve our needs, to serve my needs, to serve your needs. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I'll read verses 5 through 8. This is Paul writing, and he instructs us by saying this. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus gave up his rights and privileges as deity. He gave up his rights and privileges as God. And he did that to serve us. To serve us in his death, but also to serve us in his life. In his life as a human. Let me illustrate it maybe this way. So in the very, very, I want to emphasize this, very, 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 very unlikely event that a gunman should walk through those back doors sometime while I'm up here preaching... And he comes to the front with his automatic weapon and he points it at me and he says, Preacher man, I'm either going to shoot you or I'm going to turn the gun on the audience. What do you think my response would be? Well, I'm very confident my response would be, shoot me. I'll take the bullet for the rest of the people. I'm very confident. You know why I'm confident in that? Because I don't think that's that exceptional. Because I believe that Most, if not everyone here in this audience, would make that same decision. Yes, I'll die to save all of these people. To me, that's a fairly easy decision to make. But ask me to daily give up my rights, to ask me to daily give up my privileges in order to serve your needs, that's getting a little difficult. That's a different story. I'm not so sure I'm willing to do that. Somehow, doing those those daily setting aside my wants and needs is more difficult than taking the bullet. Ask me to give up my desires to serve you? That's not easy. Ask me to give up my ambitions to serve you? That's really hard. Ask me to give up my comforts to serve you? That's really tough. Ask me to give up my conveniences to serve you? Difficult. Ask me to give up my opinions to serve you. That's really, really hard for me. But that's what lay down your life, love, looks like. And we can know we have eternal life if we have that kind of love. That sacrificial, that lay down your life daily to serve each other kind of love. We can know we have eternal life. So let's review those three things John says, dear children, dear friends, you can know you have eternal life 
if Jesus is your Lord and Master, and if you have complete confidence not only that He can, but that He has, and He will continue to purify you from your sins. And we can know we have eternal life if we respond to the love God has shown us with loving obedience to our Lord and Master by turning away from our sin and turning to His will and His commands, striving to live a life of obedience to Him. And we can know we have eternal life if we want nothing more, nothing more than to love His children, our brothers and sisters, in exactly the same way that Jesus loves us, by setting aside our rights and privileges and serving the needs of our brothers and sisters in God's family. So what now? What can each of us do right now to live those lives of assurance, of confident assurance that eternal life is ours? I want to suggest just four things, four things that each of us, I think, can do and grasp and hang on to. And the first is this. We all need to look upward. We need to take the time every day We need to take the time every hour. We need to take the time every minute to stop and acknowledge, to stop and praise, to stop and worship, to stop and wonder and awe because God chose to rescue us. God chose to rescue me. God chose to rescue you. See, Jesus chose to do what we couldn't. And Jesus and God did what they did out of their great, Love for us. We don't need to understand it. We just need to accept it. And we need to celebrate it. And we must respond in grateful love for them and grateful love for our brothers and sisters. The second thing we need to do is we need to look inward. We do need to search. We do need to examine. We do need to test our hearts. See, we need to continually restore Jesus to his rightful place in our hearts as our Lord and Master. And we need to acknowledge and confess the sins we are hanging on to. And we need to daily strive to live in obedient love to our Lord by exhibiting lay down your life love for our brothers and sisters. And we do that by setting aside self and serving them. And the third thing we need to do this is we need to do, we need to look outward. We need to look outward. See, we've been given a gift that we can't comprehend. We've been given a gift that's beyond our imagining. It's beyond our comprehension. It's meant to be shared. We live in a world of fear. We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world that desperately needs to be able to live in the confident assurance that only comes from having Jesus as Lord and Master. And finally, what we should all do is we should all look forward. We should look forward with confident assurance. We should look forward with great anticipation. We should look forward to our eternal life with the Father. The words of John, my dear children, my dear friends, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have 
eternal life. So my invitation is John's invitation. My invitation is Jesus' invitation. And that's to look upward. To praise, acknowledge, and worship our God. It's to look inward, to examine our hearts. To acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Master. To acknowledge and confess our sins. My invitation is to look outward. It's to look to your brothers and sisters and find out how you can serve them in your in lay down your life kind of love. And finally, it's to look forward. Look forward to eternal life. Because John tells us that we may know that we have eternal life. If we can help you do any of these things, I'm going to ask you to come forward and let us know what your questions, what your desires, what your needs are while we sing a song. Or you can walk through the back doors and be directed to a room 104 where there'll be a couple of men in there, a couple of godly men, our elders, who would love to talk to you about how you too can have confident assurance in your eternal life. Or you can just grab me at the back after services, and I'd be glad I would welcome having that conversation with you. Whatever your need is, I invite you to respond while we stand, while we sing.